now this is recording. RTI International Center for Forensic Science presents Just Science. Welcome to Just Science, a podcast for justice professionals and anyone interested in learning more about forensic science, innovative technology, current research, and actionable strategies to improve the criminal justice system. In episode two of our community relations season, Just Science sat down with Lieutenant Renee Lockhart and Azalea Garza Orzoco with the ACORNS unit at the Raleigh Police Department, as well as Brian Agard, a research analyst at RTI's Applied Justice Research Division, to discuss alternative responses to traditional law enforcement. Instances of police brutality combined with an increased awareness of the importance of mental health care has spurred a robust discussion around what emergency calls demand traditional police responses. Some lawmakers and activists have called for social workers to respond to mental health and quality of life concerns, while others support a joint response between police officers and social workers. Even still, some remain skeptical that deploying social workers at all would be an effective strategy. Listen along as Renee, Azalea, and Brian discuss their backgrounds in community safety, their roles in cohort of cities and acorns, and their unique perspectives on evaluating alternative responses to emergency calls on this episode of Just Science. This episode is funded in part by RTI's Applied Justice Research Division and Cohort of Cities, supported by Arnold Ventures. Here's your host, Peyton Attaway. Hello, and welcome to Just Science. I'm your host, Peyton Attaway, with the Applied Justice Research Division at RTI International. In this season of Just Science, we analyze various research that spotlights community relations. Our topic today is alternative responses to traditional law enforcement. Here to help us navigate this conversation are three members of the Arnold Ventures supported Cohort of Cities project. Lieutenant Renee Lockhart is part of the Raleigh Police Department and supervisor of the ACORNS unit. Azalea Garza Orozco is a social worker in Raleigh PD's ACORNS unit. And Brian Agard is a senior researcher within RTI International's Applied Justice Research Division. Welcome to the podcast, you guys. Azalea, could you talk to us more about your respective profession and what got you into the work you currently do now? Yes, so I am a graduate from North Carolina Central University. I double in criminal justice and political science. I also had concentration in law enforcement and also did counseling. And my hopes were to go to law school. I did uh, some time in law school and I worked with an attorney and very quickly I found out that that was not for me. I'm a people's person. I've always worked in nonprofits and worked in the community. And I, I have the belief that, you know, like if we all put in and ship in a little bit, this whole world can be something better for our children. And I ended up at Triumph of Wake County. Triumph was a mental health agency, which worked with um, intensive in home. From there, I heard about this great program. So as soon as the application poll started, I applied. So I'm so blessed and I'm so glad to come here and get to do what I love doing. Brian, what brought you to RTI and to this line of alternative response work? I was a criminal justice major in college that my concentration was on law enforcement, but I knew I didn't want to be a police officer, which put me in a very strange position. Because if you have a criminal justice degree with a focus on law enforcement, there's very little you can do with it. I kind of stumbled into the field of uh, crime analysis and working in a non-sworn capacity for a number of different law enforcement agencies. So a lot of the things that we're doing in the crime analysis unit is it maps over really nicely to the work we do at RTI. So I feel really fortunate to be able to work on a you know diverse number of projects, but still have a really good understanding of law enforcement operations and critically for what we're doing, a good understanding of law enforcement data and the types of information that they collect through their activities 
because that's really the basis for the a lot of the evaluations that we do. LT, when I think about you and I think about the types of work that's being done with the reimagining of the law enforcement response and really supporting individuals from vulnerable populations, you are like the poster child for like what policing wants to be able to do and the type of person they want to recruit. Would you share your background a little bit and how you got into policing, but also all the other expertise you bring? Sure. Yes. So I've been with Raleigh going on 20 years now as a sworn law enforcement officer. And before joining the Raleigh Police Department, I went to NC State and graduated with a social work degree. And so going into school, I thought I wanted to be a social worker. But as I took my courses and everything, I realized that I wanted to be out and about where people were and help someone in immediate crisis, which is why I chose law enforcement, especially because I never really saw anyone that looked like me that came from where I came from in the uniform. So that's what pushed me into it. I love police work, but at the same time, I uh, have incorporated everything that I learned in the educational field in what I did out on patrol when I joined the domestic violence unit, going over to youth and family services and being a supervisor over there. And now now joining the ACORNS team and being a, a sergeant and then a lieutenant with ACORNS. So I did go back to get my master's in social work while still serving as a Raleigh police officer. I, I knew I wanted to move up the ranks and stay sworn. And I have been able to kind of bring some new ideas and things to the department, along with those social work interns to help with the innovation as far as what Raleigh PD is doing and incorporating social work in our everyday work. So. And could you just for our listeners talk a little bit more about the cohort and what that project entails? Yeah, so there's seven cities across the Carolinas that we're coming together and through all of the political discussions about how can we best serve our residents and what does professionalizing some of these responses look like? Um, These cities thought that there would be benefit for going through this as a cohort. They learn from each other. Raleigh has been one of the great leaders in that cohort of, you know, really setting an example of the things they can do. And so they're exploring all sorts of alternative responses. So obviously ACORNS is one, but uh, things as less critical type calls, like rethinking, responding to false alarms. There are certain traffic collisions that you don't necessarily need a sworn officer to go out and investigate. I'm really just taking a, a complete view of what it is that police are doing And are there either better or other providers that can respond to those types of calls? That's really the crux of it. So it's it's Raleigh, Durham, Greensboro, Winston-Salem, Cary, Burlington, and then Rock Hill, South Carolina. So very different cities. They're facing and struggling with very different experiences and their populations are very different. Uh, But the, the common interest that they have is really understanding how they can best serve residents and do it with a data-driven approach of analyzing your call for service data. We've been talking this whole time about acorns, but I didn't ever ask you the origin of acorns. So if you could talk a little bit about that. So the acronym ACORNS is Addressing Crises Through Outreach, Referrals, Networking, and Service. And how ACORNS came about was it was the, the brainchild of our retired chief, Dick Brown. And 
along with the work of a master level social work intern, this unit was developed. She was always thinking of it and trying to get it up and running. But when COVID hit, and I'm talking about the first round of COVID, when (laughs) everyone was on lockdown and everyone went to their homes, sheltered in place, police already recognized it. But the city recognized that there are folks out there that had nowhere to go. And so what do we do now? And so this is how ACORNS was kind of catapulted to the front. And the ACORNS initiative, we focus on those that are experiencing homelessness, mental health concerns, and substance use concerns. And so what we want to do is our approach is care and safety first, enforcement last. So we want to make sure that we're helping people be well. We're helping them get better and out of situations by, again, connecting them to the resources that are out there in the community. And as we've already talked about, those things take time. And it's time that law enforcement officers don't have when they're running call to call. But as a unit, we're able to take the time to be more thorough, to build more of a rapport with the individuals that we want to help. So that then they're more open to it and willing to receive the assistance. So I tell people, you know, like overnight, if you call ACORNS, that doesn't mean that you won't continue to see that individual out on the corner begging. We're helping and we're there and we're assisting them, but it's a journey. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. (laughs) Um, And so it's going to take time to get folks where they want to be. And so as long as everybody understands that, then we're completing the mission that we want. I think a lot of times it's hard for the layperson to understand that it's not an immediate thing. I think people see that a lot with substance use, especially because they are thinking that the end goal is treatment. And that's not necessarily true. As you were saying, you know, you guys deal with the mental illness, the homelessness and the substance use and all of those things are co-occurring and there's so much intersectionality and all kinds of other things that affect that. And so I think The dedication that you all have is truly amazing and something that is just, I think, truly unique. And you touched on something that I think is really important, which is the shift in policing and how this creation of a new unit. And then uh, Lieutenant Lockhart, you also touched on that, that you have a background in social work and a lot of things that we've been hearing from officers through interviews and, you know, just anecdotally is that they feel like a lot of their work is more social work tasks these days. So can we talk a little bit about that shift from the traditional enforcement role of law enforcement to more of the community focus and more of traditional social work tasks. So Lieutenant and Azalea, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way that I see this is I think folks get really caught up in some of the political discussions around this. Is this defunding the police? Is this, you know, a new approach? And I really think instead of like an alternative to enforcement, Law enforcement still plays a critical role in the lives of these folks that they're interacting with day in and day out. But I think what is so innovative and and refreshing about ACORNS is it's not necessarily an alternative. It's an addition. It's augmenting those law enforcement responses. And I think one of the things that I really liked when we were visiting and talking to one of the ACORNS officers, you know, just because you're a police officer, it doesn't mean that you want to completely divest from having those relationships with folks in the community and the folks that you're interacting with every day. But that being said, they can certainly benefit from having additional resources and follow-up that's connecting those. The thing that we're hearing, a lot of these response strategies, a lot of the pilots that people are exploring, is they're addressing an individual in crisis at acute points on the call. But what happens after that? And what is the role of law enforcement? And what is the role of mental health professionals 
to really help systematically uh, connect those people to care. No, I agree, um, Brian. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with it. For me, in 20 years, it's never been a shift. (laughs) It has been like what I've always done being a police officer and having the background in, in social work. And so I do feel like law enforcement officers want to and continue to want to serve the community in the capacity. We just want to be able to then make sure that those connections are then provided out there in the nonprofit world, in the human service world. And everybody knows because Speaking frankly, the law enforcement officer is the one that knows what is going on with folks outside. In social work, we talk about person and environment and law enforcement officers get that. They respond to that. And I I do understand folks thinking, well, you know, law enforcement officers don't need to respond to certain calls. Well, the thing is, those calls don't come out as a mental health call. They don't come out as like immediate person in crisis. It's going to be something like a request for service or refusal to leave a residence or a domestic. You know, there's so many components that involve a call in which law enforcement are going to get to. And then they realize that, hey, maybe this is something that the ACORNS team can do more thorough follow up on. And it doesn't initiate as that automatic. This is a crisis mental health call. It may not go out that way. That's exactly right, LT. When we were analyzing the call for service data from the cities across the cohort, it's only about one out of every two calls. So 50% of calls that are related to have some nexus to uh, mental or behavioral health um, are actually coded as such within the computer-aided dispatch. So th- I mean, think of the all of the calls just as Lieutenant described where, yes, it's a domestic situation or it's a trespassing, but it that is the correct call nature. But the underlying issues with that call are are related to mental and behavioral health. And the expertise of the officer responding and identifying that and saying, we can address the acute issue, but we recognize that there's further need. Um, That was something that, you know, we saw in the data, we need to do a better job up front at point of dispatch of understanding whether or not a call is related to mental health. But that's that's a whole other discussion about the data collection around this and, and really understanding that. Definitely. So I think what folks forget, you know, is that all of the officers who are here, they want to serve the community. It's part of their mission, protect and serve. Like we have had personal encounters with folks in downtown area, you know, where they won't talk to me, they won't address me. But then we have this one officer who works in the downtown area and he looks like he's like a military guy, Rosa. Folks over there love him. They will engage with him. If Rosa said you're good, Okay, I'll work with you. You know, like these uh, officers are invested and they want to work with folks. They want to serve the community. Are there situations, though, where you think folks are more comfortable conversing with you because you're in plain clothes and not obviously an officer? Yes, we have had encounters, too, where like we've been called out to an area where folks are just like sitting or hanging around. And so I introduce myself and, you know, talk to them and keep engaging. And it might take two to three times engaging with folks because we have to be, you know, remember that some of our friends in the streets have severe mental health issues, have trust issues. It's a broken system. They've been falling through the cracks for so long and people have let them down. So you have to engage them. It might be the third, fourth, fifth time. You know, that's what is so unique about this unit that we can take the time to get those folks engaged and connected to the resources in the community. That's awesome. And Azalea and Renee, something that I take for granted is I think we're so close to this work. Could you talk from the time an officer responds to a call to the time that you all are providing follow-up and connecting services? Can you tell a story that would resonate with folks that 
really illustrates what it is that you do and how this fits in, not just issues with the criminal justice system, but also issues with our healthcare system and all of the gaps that are created by, you know, the inadequacies of hospital care. Yeah, sure. So one of the things I wanted to make sure that we let folks know is that, yes, ACORN's officers are not in uniform, and that is because we are not tied to dispatch. So we are not responding immediately to the crisis. So what actually happens is we are monitoring the radio and we will follow up or go out as needed if an RPD uniformed officer calls us. But for the most part, we are receiving referrals and following up on those, say a day later or after the crisis, after the person has come down and we can actually work with them through that. And so the uniform, unfortunately, presents barriers when we're trying to do work. And so not being in the uniform is where folks open up and it allows the individuals to have some privacy because the uniform attracts other people. (laughs) Folks want to know what's going on when they see a uniform police officer talking to an individual who they might not even know who they are, but they want to know what's going on. And so we want to be able to walk them through steps. And that's a lot what ACORNS does. We have a five-pronged approach to how we respond to our referrals. So one of those is going to be the case management piece where the social workers come into play. And what we're doing is we're not necessarily providing the service. We're just making sure that individuals stay connected or get connected to the services that are already out there in our community. So we're not replacing any nonprofits. We're not doing their work. We're just making sure that the individuals that we work with know about them and stay with them through the process. So that might mean we're going to doctor's appointments or we're making sure somebody has their medication. Things of that nature is what the ACORNS team is doing. We're also relieving some of the stress from our patrol units. Typically, an, a CIT officer would respond to a call and they would handle that call, but it might be something that is outside of what they can do right then. I'll give you an example of just yesterday what we had. I got a call from a field operations officer who was called to a hotel because the hotel staff didn't feel like they could care for two elderly women that were in this residence. One was experiencing some type of psychosis and she was supposed to be caring for her elderly mother. And the mother had bed sores and actually the hotel staff were turning her to make sure that they could change the sheets and actually prevent bed sores. Now, this is a hotel staff, not a medical facility. And so the officer got there and realized, okay, she's not a danger to herself or others. I don't have involuntary commitment work that I can do right now, but I can't leave these two women here. They don't want to go voluntarily, but I need some help. And so they called the ACORNS team. And so an officer and a social worker responded out to the scene. What we learned was that both women already were connected to Adult Protective Services, already had open cases with those individuals, but they didn't know what was going on. And so we were able to let them know, look, what's going on here is not okay. (laughs) And we need some help. There needs to be some further assistance with this family. And so the police officer, which is important to highlight why officers and social workers need to do this together. When the officers responded, 
the woman said, no, I don't need any help. There's the refusal there. So if it was just a civilian led unit or a social worker only, she'd have to say, okay, well, let me know when I can assist you further or then call the police. But you already have a uniformed police officer there who recognized, okay, we've called EMS, things are not okay. Now I need to go down and file the involuntary commitment paperwork. And only an officer can do that, file involuntary commitment paperwork. So the ACORN's officer went there, did that, while the ACORN social worker is on the line with the adult protective services social worker, making her aware of what was going on with these two. The officer gets back. Woman doesn't want to go. okay? but now because she has involuntary commitment paperwork and basically a law enforcement officer has to serve it, she had to go. And so she knew that because police were there and present, she was transported in the ambulance. And this is how we're working with other uh, service providers. So EMS actually provided the transportation because we knew that both women had some medical issues there and were able to transport. So we've gotten them both better care just from that one call. As opposed to if a police officer went out there like the officer initially did, she basically did all she could do at that point. But due to having acorns and a social worker and officer who know a little bit more and can make sure we connect all the dots, we got to provide further level of care. And we didn't leave those two in a hotel room to deteriorate. That was a great, just super tangible story. And I know that's one of a million that you guys have been able to help. And it is just so inspiring. Azalea, can you speak to how, because I know you said you came from a nonprofit background, how that has kind of transferred over to your role here and how you feel like social workers have meshed with law enforcement and all of that good stuff. Working in a nonprofit is a totally different animal, you know, like Mm -hmm. You have a lot of people who come and say, I need this and I need that. And while you are in a position where you can hear the needs of the people of their community, there is not many resources that you can help them. And it's the reality. Like right now, Wake County is going through a housing crisis. So being here and with the support that we have from my supervisor and people up when they hear about this program and it's with the police department, we get more support. Like I'm more supported here than I was at a nonprofit. So it's a, it's very different working for the city, working in this unit than it is to a nonprofit. The um, working in a nonprofit has allowed me to see the need of the community. Azalea, has, has your perceptions of law enforcement changed since you've been working with Raleigh PD? Yes, he has. Before it was very military, it was by the book, you know, like they're like robots. They don't have feelings. They don't, they have to enforce the law and they have to do this. But here I get to see the true community policing, what it means to have community policing. And so, yes, my perspective has changed very much and it's positive. If you had to pick one person that you feel like your work has impacted while you've worked with the ACORNS unit, would you be willing to share that story with us? Yes, we have a, um, an older gentleman that we're working with, and we're hoping to get him house within the next couple of weeks. He's 75 now. He, we got gotten calls from him, and you know, at the beginning, 
he used to tell us different stories that like for a while we were thinking he was a military guy and and that he had served this much. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, how how can a veteran be in the street without resources thinking, you know, the system has failed this veteran. But like we built a relationship with him. We have a detective here in the unit. So it's through her great work, we were able to find out that he was not a veteran. It, actually, his brother and his father had served. But he said that because it made him feel like he was somebody. And, you know, we talked to him and we were like, you don't have to do that with us. You don't have to lie to us because you're somebody that's worth our time. We advocated for him and now he has a emergency housing voucher. That's amazing. That pizza you were talking about of just, you know, building people up, I think is really important because as you were saying earlier, the system is broken and what we're doing is only fixing a fraction of that. So I think it's really important that you're just instilling that as well. It's a great point about all of these systems failing individuals. How do you keep a positive perspective when you are confronted with all of these issues across, you know, you're talking about issues with housing, you're talking issues with healthcare, issues with the criminal justice system. I don't take it personal. I'm, I'm an immigrant. You know, I had come from a woman who says we didn't come to see if we could make it because we can make it. We came here. So I know where there is a, a will, there is a way. So we have to be persistent and, and hope for the best. And, 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 and it's cheesy and people might say it's a cliche, but like I like to do that. Like my faith has helped me to stay this strong and to see the good in people. And yeah, there is days that I get angry and I'm just like, what has happened? And But then my supervisor, the rest of the team helped me come back and be like, look, this is why we're doing it. So having a good team that understands what we're doing, doing this work is not immediate. You know, like one of our officers gets frustrated because he doesn't see the initial, like the immediate reward. But like the work that we do, it might require four, five, six months, you know, to house somebody, to get somebody clean, to get them to the resources, the medical help that they need. You know, it's not going to be immediate. It's a process, you know, that he didn't get to where they are overnight. So as the supervisor for this new unit, you know, of course, I'm thinking, how can I show success? Right. And one of the things that I made sure that coming in that I did was tap into those nonprofits that helped even build up the unit before it started. So there were folks, focus groups and work groups that got together to help us to determine what this would look like. We just didn't develop this on our own. And so I knew that I had backing. I had support because there were folks out there who I could reach out to. And I did. I said, what does success look like for your agency, for your nonprofit? And I did ask that question and got some great input. And so one of the things that I try to make sure that we do and we highlight are the wins. And so we do, I do a monthly rent wins report that I send back out to my folks. And it may not be something major, something huge, but the little things are what really matter and keep us going. Because something that might be a win this month, you know, or someone that has a win one month, they may take two steps back the next month. But it's okay because they had a win the previous <laughs> month. And we want to tally that and we want to show that the little things they do matter and those little wins for anyone because we know life is life for everyone. And so if we can track those little things and say this was a success, thank you all for what you did along the way through this journey where we're walking with someone 
they have uh, self-determination. They can tell us where they want to go or what they don't want to do because we're walking along with them, you know? And so there's a lot of pressure on us. And I think we do a great job as a team working through it like a family and recognizing that there is going to be conflict, but that we can take the time to appreciate those small little wins when we have them, because we know that there are going to be struggles ahead. That's amazing. I know I've sat in on a lot of interviews and led focus groups around officers responding to overdoses specifically. And one of the major issues that they always bring up is that they wish they had more feedback, like they want to know what happened to the person that they're interacting with. So I think that you closing that feedback loop for people is so key. And I wish that's something that more people can implement. And Peyton, I mean, that's, I think, the work that we're doing in the Cohort of Cities project. You know, so we received funding from Arnold Ventures because they're really interested in answering this question, which of these strategies is most appropriate, which are most effective? There's a survey currently in the field now that will better and more systematically understand the wins that Lieutenant Lockhart is talking about. We need to be able to take those up in aggregate and say, this is the impact of this unit. Um, We're doing a lot of analysis on their responses and their CAD data, their computer-aided dispatch data that shows the types of activity that they're on. You know, the things that stand out when we're looking at calls for your average officer, you know, they're on scene for minutes. And when you look at the ACORNS units, you can see that they're on calls for hours. And to Zalia's point earlier about, I think the typical law enforcement response is, I want to show up and as quickly as possible, resolve the situation and go to my next call. That mindset of this is going to take four or five or six contexts is a, is a real shift. And it's been exciting as a researcher looking at the, these data and saying what ACORNS is doing is operationally very, very different than what law enforcement is doing. They're going to have different outcomes. I guess the most important thing to consider is that their goals are aligned with the law enforcement, but they have different parameters in which they can operate. They have so much more time and they have so much more latitude to really see the individual holistically and figure out a solution. Whereas, you know, the patrol officers through no fault of their own have to get on scene and try to clear that call as appropriately and quickly as possible. You know, the evaluation piece is critical. Uh, City management has to go back to council and say, this is the impact that you're having with these allocation that you've made on the budget. And if you want to scale these things, and I think they probably probably will and should scale them, um, this is the return that you're going to get on that investment. Yeah. Is there anything that you all wish that you could do, but due to just, you know, the staffing constraints and resources that you have that you can't? We have dehumanized the homeless population so much as a community. Substance abuse, folks with, who have all those disorders, we have dehumanized them. Like I say, it takes a while for you to get to that place. It's going to take them a while to get back to what they used to be and be productive members of society again. So my personal goal is to keep healing my little lottery every now and then, win the lottery one day, build that, give them a chance, you know, to battle their addiction, to get back on their feet, to find a job, to relearn what they have forgotten. Four to six months, you can be here rent-free. We can bring you the resources that you need. We can bring the mental health, everything here. And they have one of these in Texas already. I'm already looking into it. I have a plan list. And this is one step to get you where you need to go. Yeah, that's you shouldn't have to win the lottery for that to be a reality. I wonder about the role of local government. And, you know, as they're thinking through their budgets, I know they're doing it in, in Durham where they're focused on affordable housing. I'm sure they're doing it in Raleigh as well. But it's a, a critical issue to just really just highlights to me is just the breadth of the work that the ACORNS unit is doing, the things that they're addressing in Raleigh there. It's, it's just not one thing. And it's, I think, easy for folks to really think fairly narrowly about what some of these um, strategies and augmented responses look like. So, Lieutenant, if you won the lottery 
and you decided to allocate some of that, what, what would you do with it? So uh, as the supervisor, you know, I, I have to point out that there are only seven of us. There's only seven folks on the unit and we're covering the entire city of Raleigh. And so if I had more money, it would be nice to have more ACORNS unit teams. I'll start small. We can have a north side ACORNS team and have a south side ACORNS team. But I, I do think that there needs to be more of us, more personnel that can do the work. But then it would also be be awesome to have our own database where as a supervisor, I could be able to track more of the great work that we're doing and not rely on that human factor of making sure they input the data. But if we had our own database, it would be more easily trackable. So it, it would just do it, you know, and then I can go and pull that information out and say, see, look, this is, this is what we're doing, you know. I'll tell you, you're speaking my language because that, that was one of the things when we went through the evaluation and this is across not just Raleigh, all of the cities, the computer-aided dispatch for folks that are listening, when, when someone picks up the phone and calls 911, there's a record in the computer-aided dispatch. And the whole point of that system is taking the need from the community, understanding community demand for public safety resources, and then allocating public safety resources. So are you sending fire, are you sending EMS, or are you sending a law enforcement officer? That's the whole point of the system, is to make sure that somebody shows up where there is a need. But there are all of these gaps about what happens after. What are the outcomes of interest? What is the interaction with the individual that's not necessarily captured? The system wasn't set up for that. So I think to Lieutenant's point, I think a huge need here is rethinking about the data collection that we have. And there needs to be the shift from just having events to event to event that public safety is responding to and say, you should be able to pull up and say, all right, Peyton Attaway, if Peyton lives in Raleigh, how many touch points has she had with public safety and what are her needs? You can't answer that question now. If there's a police report, you can see it, but that's a disparate system and you're relying on officers responding on scene to understand that and, and look it up. There's just not a comprehensive picture of the need for resources in the city. And Acorns is filling that gap, but you're right. There, you need to have a record management system that looks more like case management rather than a law enforcement record management system. Exactly, exactly. And that would help my personnel to, to see those wins and make sure that they're, they're recording that information. So when they go back later, when they have that day where somebody took two steps back, they'll easily be able to go back and look for themselves and say, OK, well, wait a minute. Let me look, think big picture instead of just today, you know, because I want to reduce burnout. I don't want there to be a hot, a lot of turnover over here, which we haven't had yet. I'm not speaking that up at all. But <laughs> I'm thinking ahead. I'm thinking about those, those things. So not only proving it system wise, but showing the folks who are doing it exactly what they're doing and how it's making an immediate impact. So they feel better about their work, too. Yeah. And I think if you were able to share some of that information broadly across Raleigh PD, the example that I love is that there should be a system that when you show up to a scene and you see an individual that maybe that's upset. And if you've had a dozen contacts with them between the ACORNS unit and the Raleigh Police Department field operations, there should be a way that you know that that person likes Dr. Pepper. And when you show up, you say, you know what, I'm going to go in the store, get you a Dr. Pepper, and we're having a conversation. 
you shouldn't have to keep figuring that out time after time after time. I know it's a silly example with Dr. Pepper, but it's a real one. No, and, and it does happen. We have an individual who calls, he used to call the 911 a lot. And now when one of our officers is out, he calls and he's like, well, nobody cares about me, this and that. But because he doesn't have that follow up. So what we have taken upon the team is to call him at least once a week. Even when the officer is out, we giving him a call because all he wants to do is have to hear somebody feel that somebody cares about him. I think it also speaks to what Peyton was questioning earlier about the whole referral and follow up to the officers that may not get to see what happens in the end. Uh, We try to make sure as the ACORNS team that when we receive a referral, we're actually letting that officer know this is what we did, you know, and thank you for sending this to us because we want them to continue to send us referrals. But if we had a system where they could easily go and see, again, it goes back to making people see that what they're doing is working and they feel valued in their work. So they'll continue to do the work. And And I think if we had a system that helped us to be able to do that, everyone, officers and and my staff as well, would appreciate the work that goes on more. You know, we were talking about winning the lottery a little bit before. And Lieutenant, I think you won the lottery when you were able to hire Azalea. You talk a little bit about, so if you were to expand the unit and grow, what do you think about the recruitment and retention? Because I know it's a tough time for law enforcement right now. Yeah, so I'm hoping that, you know, our our staffing levels picks up on patrol because honestly, I don't I don't see us growing too much like I would want it to right now because our staffing levels are we're understaffed on patrol right now. So if we can get that to grow, then I see those officers who appreciate the ACORNS initiative and are already CIT trained and would like that they've been doing the work for a few years and they'd like to dive deeper into what ACORNS can do joining this specialized unit. So it would be a team of officers who already have a lot of experience on patrol and working CIT, and it's an easy transition over to the ACORNS team, which is more of a specialized unit and working with the social workers. So that would be my goal is to have that occur. Renee, for the listeners, what is CIT? And it's can you describe a little bit of Raleigh's unique approach of the vast majority of the officers are CIT trained? Is that correct? Yeah, so um, CIT is crisis intervention team training, basically. And the team, once you become a CIT officer, first of all, you complete 40 hours of training, which is hosted by Wake County, NAMI, and Alliance actually assist with the trainings. And so the way that it's structured now, all Raleigh police recruits or rookies before they go out on patrol go through CIT training. I am now going to be the new CIT coordinator uh, for the Raleigh Police Department as the ACORNS lieutenant. And so one of the things we want to work on, too, is making sure that officers who are CIT want to do that work and we can tap more into it. Because what you should have is if you were to call 911 and you want an officer who's specially trained in de-escalation and crisis intervention, you should be able to request that officer who knows this call might take a little bit more time to handle. And I know how to de-escalate and work through it because I've sat through a course where we've discussed medication. I've actually spoken to consumers and work with consumers on a regular basis. I know what resources are out there in the county I'm from, so I'm willing to take the time. Those are the CIT officers that we need out there, which then would easily transition over to ACORNS. 
And so just hearing Azalea talk and hearing Lieutenant talk about it, about all the different things they do, it's no one would ever assume that law enforcement would be responsible for it. The example that you gave of showing up to the hotel and finding some individuals uh, in great need, that's not what people think about when you think about law enforcement. So I think that's why it's so critical to kind of diversify the skill set that they have and not putting everything entirely on patrol and making sure that patrol has additional resources so that they feel that they're empowered to make better decisions that have better longer term outcomes. I agree. But that's what I signed up for. <laughs> mm-hmm. I signed up for those type of calls too, to be able to help in that way and do exactly what I'm doing. Yeah, it's the, the focus groups were really interesting. And I think we were able to present the findings back to Raleigh and a number of other cities. And there's a remarkable amount of alignment on this. As much as there is, you know, this kind of argumentative discourse about the politics of this, there is really alignment. When you talk to the officers and you say, you know, do you think that you have the training to deal with an individual in acute crisis? They're like, yes, I can handle the call. But no, I am not the best long term provider for this person. I don't understand why any jurisdiction of size wouldn't have a unit that's providing the follow up care that ACORNS is doing. I mean, obviously, we're researchers and we want to thoroughly evaluate that and rigorously evaluate that. Um, and we are. And that's what the Cohort of Cities project is doing to build out an evidence base for these things. But it meets such a clear need. They are clearly having an impact. It's just up to us now to measure and determine what that impact is and how it could be emulated in other jurisdictions in the U.S. Do you feel like community trust and buy-in and your ability to find people care has increased since the ACORNS unit has become more well-known and has become a little bit more established? Peyton, I'm so glad you asked. And that's why we're currently fielding a novel data collection, a survey of officers, contacts who have received interaction with ACORNS and service providers to understand just that very question, Peyton. From the uh, service provider standpoint and coming into it from a law enforcement perspective as a police Mm -hmm. officer, I think we have won a lot of our service providers and nonprofits over because they had an opinion of what police are and what they do and kind of like, let's stay away from them. Uh But when ACORNS came about, I think that they now realize, oh, this is different. Not what I thought police work is, but this is different and kind of cold. Right. And we want to work with you all. And so I see how the transition has occurred there. I still think because it's so very new that there are a lot of more questions than answers. And so I think we still need more time to win folks over on both sides, because Mm -hmm. I, I do think there's also officers out there who don't think that we should be doing this and that this isn't police work when it actually is. And so I do see the challenge around it, but I also see the need. So I think uh, for me, prior to coming here, I was working at a homeless hub, which is Oak City Cares. And let me tell you guys, Oak City Cares is a blessing for a lot of our friends. They are able to go to Oak City, do a shower, do laundry, be connected to other resources they have from veteran services to children's to domestic violence, mental health. I mean, they have medical health. And so I was able to build those relationships with folks in the community. And when I came, I came to at the Acorns unit, they were like, oh, you're working for the police now, huh? I'm just like, yeah, but it's the same work that I was doing before. I just get to be out in the community and put in the footwork, you know, folks are able to come to Oak City, but those folks who are in encampments, who are in the woods, who are not able to come or don't trust any system, don't trust any partner because they've been let down so much, I'm able to go out there and outreach them and talk to them and engage them, which is 
to reinstate them, to bring them back to society as full individuals to make them believe in a system again. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you both so much for your candor. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And and I'd like to, you know, say that I do appreciate the fact that our, our newest police chief, Estella Patterson, has also been extremely supportive of ACORNS and so has city council and everyone. So I've been working closely with other partners within the city, the strategy and any innovation, Stephanie Olson. Uh, and it's been great for them to see what the police department can do and what they're willing to do and see us as more of a partner and not just another department that's out there, but let's work together as an entire city. It's been such a collaborative effort within the city that I really appreciate. And I think that they see now more of the value of a police department and what can be done when we all work together. Typically in our center, we're working directly with law enforcement agencies, but the benefit of the cohort of the cities project is when you're working with city management, They can pull the levers across all levels of government, all the different departments in local government. And I don't think any of the cities in the cohort has done a better job than Raleigh in that of making sure stakeholders from across the entire city are involved. It's not just police, but it's fire, it's EMS, it's emergency communications. They've been a key stakeholder in this as well. That broad approach that Raleigh has adopted and that Lieutenant alluded to there is super impactful and super helpful. And Brian, I wanted to wrap up by asking you, what are the next steps for the cohort of cities? Yeah, so we're, we're finalizing some of the work now and we're going to finalize evaluations to understand what they're doing, what impact they're having and uh, serve that back to the, the jurisdictions that we're partnering with so they can understand what, what they want to do in the future. So the next steps will be to give them that information so that they can make informed decisions about the future of these programs. Well, that's all we have time for today. I'd like to thank our guests today, Lieutenant Renee Lockhart, Azalea Garza-Orzoko, and Brian Agard for sitting down with Just Science to discuss alternative responses to traditional law enforcement. I'd also like to thank you, the listener, for tuning in today. If you enjoyed today's conversation, be sure to like and follow Just Science on your podcast platform of choice. I'm Peyton Attaway, and this has been another episode of Just Science. Next week, Just Science sits down with Dr. Nick Richardson to discuss disparities in police responses to cases of interpersonal violence. Opinions or points of views expressed in this podcast represent a consensus of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of its funding. 